The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast on the number one division in the NBA, brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network, hosted, as always, by myself, Alex Fishbine. So, I hope everyone is having a great June so far. I hope you guys are all enjoying the playoffs as they are going on. We've had some great games, some great series, and honestly, the best is still yet to come, if you ask me. So, let's jump into the series updates. We have Brooklyn, as of right now, at the time of this recording, is up 2-0 over Milwaukee. They will play their third game tonight in Milwaukee, and the Sixers tied up their series with Excuse me, the Hawks, one to one So, I wanted to talk a little bit about Brooklyn here just because their game is the one that's coming up first, so we might as well bring them up first. So, we have Brooklyn here, and I wanted to look up some of the differentiating stats when it comes to either, you know, KD not playing... KD playing, Kyrie not playing, Harden not playing, and so on and so forth. So I looked at the Nets record and stats with and without KD. So with KD this season, the Nets are 23 and 12. Without KD, they're actually 25 and 12. So right off the bat, win-loss-wise, almost the same. Um, I mean... The only reason it's worse with him on the court right now, like the win percentage, is just because there was two less games. But it's essentially the same exact thing. However, when we take a look at the stats in those two situations, the stats very, very much so favor when KD is on the court for Brooklyn. Uh, the team average is 121 points per game, almost 28 assists. Six steals, six blocks, 50.6% from the floor as a team, and 41.3% from three. All of those numbers are honestly just utterly ridiculous. I mean, in those 35 games, they averaged 121 points a game. That in and of itself is honestly just ridiculous. Then you add in the fact that they're almost getting 28 assists per game. It's 27.6 specifically. And on top of that, the steals and blocks, not terrible with 6 and 6, but the shooting is just ridiculous. I mean, they're making over half of their shots in those 35 games. That's insane. Insanity. Just insanity. That's just what it is. And then to also hit 41.3% from three, obviously you can see why they're scoring 121 points a game. Um, And it's a little worrisome, though, that they're scoring that much and have lost 12 games. But we'll go without KD. That points per game takes a five-point hit. They're down to 116, which, to be honest with you, 116 points a game still is very, very good for those who weren't sure about it um 
It goes down to 26 assists per game. They actually get a little more steals. They have 7.1 steals per game and then only 4.5 blocks. But then the percentages go down to 48.3 from the floor and 37.3 from three-point. So obviously the percentages are taking a hit. The scoring's taking a hit. Even assists are taking a hit. The defense, I mean, with Brooklyn, it's going to be around the same no matter which one of the big three are in because... Neither one of them are known for their defense, so they're not like a defensive stalwart that you know is going to end up winning Defensive Player of the Year and and is going to you know really affect your team's defense that much. But their offense, obviously, it's got some some changes in there. It's got some impact. Um, so then we looked at the Brooklyn Nets this season with Kyrie are thirty six and eighteen. Without him, they are twelve and six. So, again, they have enough firepower, they have enough star power, that whenever these guys were both in or out, they're still having a pretty good record. Um, but when Kyrie was on the floor in that 36-18 and 18 record this season, they were scoring 119 points a game, uh, 27 assists, 7 steals, 5 blocks, and the percentages were up to 49.6 from the floor, 39.5 from three. So they still had very, very good percentages. Um, still a very high scoring squad when Kyrie was on the floor. And it obviously fell into place for them most of the time. Um, and the win percentage is actually identical with Kyrie on the court and off the court. They're both at about a 66%. Um, with him off the court in those 18 games, the, the points per game obviously goes down again because Kyrie is one of the best scorers in the game. He It, it goes down to 116.9, and then assists go down again to 26. Um, steals and blocks stay pretty much the same. Field goal percentage takes a bit of a hit again, 48.9. And three-point percentage also takes a hit down to 38.4. So it's pretty much like a ongoing theme with KD and Kyrie offense super super good when they're on the court offense still really good but not as good the rest pretty much the same <laughs> and then we looked at James Harden so when James Harden was on the floor he had the best win percentage of them all 29 and 7 the Brooklyn Nets were when he was off the floor Brooklyn Nets were 19 and 17. So what this tells you is it has to be James Harden that has the biggest impact. And what also it tells you is that it's pretty crazy that Brooklyn is doing what they're doing right now to Milwaukee, blowing them out like that without James Harden, especially when you look at these stats and their their record shows and some of their stats even show that they're not as good um or as up to their like monstar level without James Harden um it shows that you know it's pretty crazy that they can still play at that high of a level even without him even though their record was 19 and 17 and it also goes to show you that Milwaukee just ain't scoring they're not really doing much because they were 19 and 17 without Harden but they were still scoring 118 points per game. So that means those other teams had to have been scoring a ton of points. So that gets left up to Milwaukee and the fact that 
they ain't scoring. <laughs> um, but when when Harden was on the court, 119 points a game, 27 assists, six steals, five blocks, 50% from the floor, uh, 39.1% from three for the team. That's the team averages. Then when he's off, it only goes down one point. It only goes down 118 points per game. Uh, but then it's the exact same assist per game, actually. Um, tiny increase in steals, tiny increase in blocks. Field goal percentage goes down to 48.8. Three-point percentage is pretty much the same, give or take, like, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3. Um, so it's funny because when you look at those stats, they're relatively the same, and they're very close. However... In the games he didn't play, they're 19 and 17, but the games he did, they're 29 and 7. So, I guess it is what it is. It depends on the kind of, the kind of opponent they're playing. But when you look at Milwaukee, you think that they're a number, what, three seed? They should be able to do that. <laughs> So it's a little alarming for Milwaukee. And for Brooklyn, it really looks like, you know, I, like I'm not ruling out any kind of sweep because Brooklyn has looked unstoppable so far. And that's without their top three guy. So, I mean, that's, that's honestly without him, without Jeff Green as well. Uh, and... You might laugh at that, but Jeff Green has been a pretty important piece to this team throughout the regular season. Um, but, I mean, you got to step up, Milwaukee. Like, you got to do something. You got to score something. You got something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I see Brooklyn taking this series. I didn't think it was going to be this easy, but it's looking like it's going to be pretty easy. So let's move on to the Sixers. They tied their series up one-to-one. -one. Um, Joel Embiid did not win MVP. Nikola Jokic won that. Ben Simmons did not win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Rudy Gobert won that. I'm not... I, I want to say it as I'm not surprised that Jokic won MVP. Embiid didn't. There was a lot of games he didn't play. He's hurt a lot. That's his ongoing thing, and that's pretty much the main reason why he doesn't win awards. Simmons, while he did miss a you know decent amount of games, it wasn't enough for me to say like, oh, he shouldn't win awards. But the Defensive Player of the Year award, I think, is. It's just a little confusing on who you want to give that to. Obviously, a lot of the time, it's a big man that wins. But it seems as though it's starting to become a thing where, like, advanced, advanced stat. Like, not even, like, just PER. Like, we're getting deep into the advanced stats now. Uh, are used for these defensive things, but not as much so for any other award. Only, only defensive, which I know that steals and blocks don't tell you the entire story, but you, I think you also have to take into account who that defender's guarding all the time. When Giannis won Defensive Player of the Year, 
a lot of his defensive stats came from help defense. You can be a great help defender, but what if you're the worst on-ball defender in the in the league? You still get defensive player year for defensive player of the year for that? Like there's I think there's a lot more that goes into defensive player of the year than just these advanced stats that people try to come up with to talk about the impact of defense. And I'm not saying Rudy Gobert has no impact on defense. He obviously has a very big impact. He's a very good defender, but in I, in my opinion, I do think that it means more for a player who can, you can tell them, go guard the other team's best player, and he can force them to shoot worse than they normally do. You know what? Some guys might still go out and get 30. With the way the league is, the way that the calls are, you know, the foul calls are and everything, it's an offensive league. It's set up for offense. But when you had Kawhi Leonard winning Defensive Player of the Year, he was guarding the best player on the other team most of the time. Those players, a lot of those players still put up 30-some points. But when he was guarding them, they noticeably did worse. Combined with the fact that he had a lot of steals, you know, played passing lanes well, had a lot of deflections, things like that. But the man could guard at least one through four. He wasn't really guarding fives at the time. Ben Simmons also guarding one through four. He guards the occasional five, but it's not often. A lot of people want to say he can guard one through five. Yes, he technically can, but he doesn't guard fives often. But when he's guarding the other team's best player, they noticeably do worse than normal. Not only that, but I think there should be something said for the fact that when the other team sees Ben Simmons guarding them, they're calling for picks. They're, you know, setting the screen, resetting the screen, trying to get any switch possible so that they don't have to try and shoot, go into the lane, make a move against Ben Simmons. That should account for something. And I don't know. I mean, I see all the stats and everything saying that, you know, Rudy Gobert apparently had like the best defensive season of all time and stuff like that. But at the same time, their defense is set up to funnel players to Rudy Gobert, which, yes, I know you're funneling him into the paint, which should technically be an easier shot for the other team. However, they're funneling them right to you you're not the one fighting through screens you're not the one chasing guys all throughout the perimeter and still being able to guard them the whole time you're not the one going from the team's best shooting guard all of a sudden and he goes out to the team's best point guard and then the team's best small forward and still playing good defense on them that's the one thing that, to me, just doesn't make sense in the defense player that you're voting. And don't get me wrong, because there's a lot of centers, and even Rudy Gobert, like his other defensive player of the year awards, I'm not negating those because I do think he at least should have one to two. At least. I agree with that. I actually picked Rudy Gobert to win defensive player of the year the first time he won it. But I think that there's... 
like just because a lot of the advanced stats and everything come up and say like oh well the guy he was guarding still scored this many points but you're not showing the fact that that guy he was guarding might have scored 20 but he took 20 shots to get there i think that should mean something i mean i looked up the stats of ben simmons against trey young and uh, I looked up his stats against Trey Young uh, in the regular season. And he was on him for about, uh, let's see, this year he was only on him for like less than a minute, 2.9 possessions. He was one for two and it was a three-pointer. And he made two free throws. So, I mean, there's not much that for this season. But last season, the regular season, he guarded him for 24 possessions. Trey Young scored five points. He did have six assists, but he was shot two for 11 from the floor, one for four from three, and had no free throws. This year, in the postseason, in the two games, Ben Simmons has guarded him for 24.4 possessions. He has scored four points. He has had four assists. He's been blocked once. He's shot two for six from the floor, 0 for two from three. Now let's compare that to a guy who's an average defender in Danny Green, who has guarded him, who's the only player who's guarded him more this postseason from the, for the Sixers. 27 and a half possessions. Trey Young has scored 21 points on him. Five assists, six of 10 shooting, two of four from three, seven of seven from the free throw line. Even a guy like Matisse, who's guarded in 23 possessions, Trey Young has scored 20 points on him with three assists, but he's also turned the ball over twice, been blocked twice, shot 6 of 12 from the floor, 2 of 5 from 3, 6 of 7 from the free throw line. Ben Simmons hasn't even... He's made two shots. He's only had four points in 24.4 possessions when Ben Simmons guards him. And that is, by far and away, Atlanta's best player. On top of that, Trey Young should definitely be faster than Ben. Ben is much bigger than him. Ben is a the size of a power forward doing this on a point guard, on a much smaller, quicker, craftier point guard that can shoot from the logo. Uh, things like that in and of itself should show you the kind of impact that he has, and I think that in and of itself is a campaign for him to win Defensive Player of the Year. But I guess we're giving it to Rudy Gobert. So, whatever. You know, congratulations. I mean, he still had a hell of a defensive season. I just don't think that's the right one to win. Um, I also took a look real quick just because there was a uh, bunch of different stats that I wanted to check out. Joel Embiid. So, the Sixers are 25-7 and seven whenever Joel scores 25 or more this season. I mean, that's a pretty good record. That's a 78% win percentage right there. They obviously are 1-1 one one in this series when he scores 25 or more. But the team, I mean, like Joel Embiid in those games in that 25-7, and seven, when he scores 25-plus, his points per game are actually 34. Uh, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, 1 block. Shooting 54% in those games combined, 40% from 3. 
87% from the free throw line. Those are crazy ass numbers for a center. And I know for a fact, if he was healthy for an entire season, the man would have at least one MVP by now. If he was healthy for an entire season, there is no doubt in my mind he would have an MVP award. That's the only the only thing that can stop Embiid is himself and his health. That's it. Ain't nobody stopping Embiid, especially anybody on the Hawks. Now, I also wanted to look because the game that the Sixers lost, Simmons, um, I mean, he didn't score much, but then they won. He only scored like, I think it was like four or six points. Um, the Sixers are actually eight and two this season when Simmons scores less than 10 points, which I thought was an interesting stat because obviously when he's like your one of your top three guys, usually they're the ones scoring the most. It, the only exception, I guess, would be Draymond. And it really makes you start to think, is Ben Simmons a better Draymond? Is that his ceiling? I don't know. I'm not like sitting here saying that is the ceiling, but it makes you question if that's what it is. And I think that's an interesting comparison because the one big thing about Draymond, especially when he won Defensive Player of the Year, is he could guard one through five. He was like the facilitator for that team. The one guy that, you know, he wasn't hitting many shots, but he got that ball to where it needed to be for Steph, Clay, KD, all of those teams. He was an important like cog to the machine and played at a pretty elite level for that role. That could be what Ben Simmons is. Um, and the other, uh, the Sixers also had a 32 and 13 record um, when he scored more than 10 points. So they still, I mean, they're still winning when he scores more. Um, and that was the bulk of the games that he scored more than 10 points. Uh, obviously, there was only 10 games that he scored less. But still an interesting stat to me. Um, and really, the difference between the two games, I think, was really the fact that the adjustment by Doc Rivers to hedge a lot of the screens and everything was a very, very good decision. Um, and they hedged them pretty hard, but also like waited with him. The, de the defender recovered, and then that one got back to the screener pretty much every time. If there was a switch, they... Um, they didn't do bad on the switches, really. There was a couple times that, you know, they just got an unfavorable matchup. The Hawks scored, whatever it may be. But then they started playing uh, Trey Young very well in when he started driving to the lane because you pretty much know it's either a lob or a floater. Like, that's essentially what it's been every single time, especially in Game 2. He wasn't kicking out that much. It was almost always either a lob or a floater. And after they got, like, two lobs... Then Joel Embiid started denying some of the lobs. Then everyone started getting ready. Trey Young even was, uh, you know, affected enough that he lobbed it too high or or too far to the left or whatever it may be, and that was a big issue for them. Um, all the defenders closed out on the shooters well, which I think was really big. And if they can keep doing that, depending on what kind of um, adjustments the Hawks make. I think that's the key to playing defense on this Hawks team. I mean, the only thing you got to worry about is those games like game one when they're just on fire and you can't really do anything about it. They just score everything. <laughs> that's the only part where it's kind of like, ah, you're SOL at that point. 
<laughs> but yeah, that is it for me, guys. Um, I know there's been some news with like the Celtics and everything, uh, you know, um, promoting Brad Stevens to the front office and Danny Ainge stepping down and everything. We'll, we will talk about that. We'll probably bring someone one. Bleh, sorry, bring someone on to talk about that. That might have a little bit more knowledge about it um, in the future. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. We're not going to talk about that right now because we got some playoff basketball to worry about. But that is it for me, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast on the number one division in the NBA. Make sure you guys share this with one friend and also leave a review for us. You can get us anywhere you find your podcast. We're also on YouTube. Check us out. Everything under The Atlantic Files. Just, you know, give us a search. Give us a subscribe. Share with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.